Welcome once again to our study of the book of Acts. My name is John Robbins. I'm thankful for your presence. As we continue in chapter 16, we're going to take a moment briefly to talk about what we dealt with last week, and then we'll move right along. Remember, the Council of Jerusalem has met, and they've made a determination that anyone is welcome to be a part of the Christian community as long as they have faith in Jesus Christ. No longer is circumcision a requirement for males. Gentiles and Jews now can interact with each other. They can eat with one another. They can obviously worship together. It is a new day for this community. Remember, many of these people came out of the Jewish tradition where they were set apart and different even literally physically. And now the church says we have people from all nations, from all over the world, who are welcome to be a part of the life of the church. As we talked about last week, Paul and Barnabas were in ministry together. They traveled together. They evangelized together. They did great work together. Along the way, they had John Mark, who would become the author of the Gospel of Mark, with them doing ministry. However, at one point, John Mark decides to go back home. And Paul felt abandoned by John Mark. Paul and Barnabas make a decision to retrace their steps. In other words, to go back and visit all the places where they had previously been and to check in and see how ministry was taking place, how the people were doing. Barnabas suggests that John Mark be invited to come along with them. Paul doesn't like that. He feels even betrayed by John Mark, and as a result, Paul and Barnabas, there's no other way to say it, have a major squabble, a fight. And as a result of that decision, Barnabas leaves Paul. Paul leaves Barnabas. They separate. Paul now attaches himself to Silas, and we're going to see to Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts as well. And Barnabas falls off the radar. Paul now becomes the central focus of the rest of the book of Acts. So we are in the 16th chapter. They invite Timothy, a young protege of Paul's, to come along. Timothy has uh, a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. Timothy is circumcised, which seems to contradict the decision by the Council of Jerusalem that all can come and be a part of the life of the church. But for this group of people, because his mother was Jewish, he was considered Jewish as well, and Jew, Jewish males have to be circumcised. And so Timothy is circumcised. So we're going to pick up with the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 11 now. And what we're going to see is that Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, has recorded this in third person. Now he is going to, in many instances, record what is being done, what takes place in first person. So notice in the very first verse, or excuse me, the very first word of the 11th verse of the 16th chapter, we see Luke speaking in first person. He says, we set sail for Troas and took a straight course to Semthris, and following date to Naples, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So we see now that Luke is recording 
events that he is an eyewitness to, that he is a part of, we set sail. Luke joins Paul on his missionary journeys. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. Now remember, that's rather unusual to begin with. Paul coming from Jewish tradition, speaking to women publicly. It shows that once again, the rules have changed because women have a place. Paul famously writes that there is no longer Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. So they sit down and begin a conversation with women. A certain woman named Lydia, worshiper of God, was listening to us, listening to us. This is Luke transcribing what has taken place. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. That means, of course, that she was most likely a Gentile woman, a non-Jew. She owns her own business because she's a dealer in purple cloth. That's a part of, obviously, the textile industry. And purple was uh, a symbol of wealth and a symbol of notoriety. In other words, one who was rich and famous wore purple. It was associated with the elite. So what we discover about Lydia is that she has a business that caters to the wealthy, influential crowd. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. So here is a woman, a woman of stature, a woman of wealth, who associates with those very kind of people who hears the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ preach, and she and her family become baptized believers, and Paul and others stay in her home at her invitation. What we are seeing now is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being spread throughout to the world, to the Jews and Gentiles, to the rich and to the poor, to the educated and to the uneducated. It is a message that is available to all people, regardless of status or class or race. Verse 16, one day as we were going to a place of prayer, again, this is Luke recording it. He is an eyewitness to all that is taking place. We met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She knows who they are. Remember what we discover in the Gospels is that those who are possessed by demons are the kinds of people who always know exactly who Jesus is. Here is a woman who has the spirit of divination. She's a fortune teller, if you will. She is somebody who is otherworldly in that she has a spirit within her that is not healthy or good. But she knows exactly who Paul and Luke and others are 
men who are slaves to the Most High God, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She knows who they are and she knows what they do. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, this spirit within this woman, this dark spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. We see once again that Paul has the power to cast out demons, uh, to exercise demons from someone's life. And he does it from this woman who, remember, has an evil spirit within her. She is used by others for their financial gain. She is a source of income. She's a fortune teller, whatever it may be, but she provides income for other people. Let's see what happens with that. But when her owners saw that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been given a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them secure. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. What we are going to discover is that Paul himself is a Jew, but he is a Roman citizen. And this is going to be a major issue for Romans who take one of their own citizens without any kind of trial and have him flogged. Now, we see that Paul was stoned so severely in last week's readings that they assume him to be dead, but he gets up and begins his ministry all over again. Now we see that he is beaten severely. Uh, that is uh, a painful flogging that takes place. It says after they had given them a severe flogging. So they are flogged and then they are thrown into prison. Prisons were not comfortable settings at all. They were infectious disease centers, focal points, poor food, poor surroundings, awful place to be. So they would have had gaping wounds that needed to be cared for and then thrown into a cesspool, all because they are doing the work of Jesus Christ. Paul, when he becomes, his name is changed from Saul, is one who is now going to suffer greatly for the faith in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's see what happens to them. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Can you imagine praying and singing hymns to God after you have been flogged severely? You would have had gaping wounds in the most wretched of conditions. They are praising God, singing hymns. And the Prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundation of the prison were shaken. The foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. In other words, this jailer is gonna go ahead and kill himself because he knows he is going to be killed anyway because these people appeared to be 
escaping from the jail. Their chains are loosened and removed. An earthquake has taken place. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushing in, he fell down trembling for, before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Listen to the question. Here is a jailer who wants to know what must I do to be saved? They answered, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. What is the requirement for salvation? It is faith in Jesus Christ. Underline this in your Bible. What shall I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. This very jailer who was responsible for making sure they remained imprisoned is now washing their wounds. He has gone from a man who is responsible for their suffering at some level, who is now a man who cares for those who are suffering, all because of the power of Jesus Christ. He has been saved by God's grace through his faith in Jesus Christ, and now he cares for these prisoners. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. This jailer's wildest dreams would have never included a group of men who had been flogged by the Roman authorities, and I'm sure he was listening to the prayers and the hymns that were sung, and then knowing that he himself by the end of the day would, or early in the night would himself become a follower of Jesus Christ would have been a foreign idea to him, certainly, but it came to be realized. When morning came, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported the message to Paul saying, the magistrates sent words to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul replied, they have beaten us in public, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And now are they going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Let them come and take us out themselves. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Roman citizens were guaranteed a trial. What happened was that these magistrates committed an illegal act and they're now hold, held responsible. And these authorities as a result of abusing a fellow Roman citizen could themselves have been executed for what it was they have done. So they are terrified. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. After leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home and when they had seen the encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. There is a lot of suffering that takes place among many of the early Christians who were driven by the Holy Spirit to, com to, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and in the process, suffering tagged along. It was certainly the case with Paul and Silas. But in the, as a result of that, there are many who are being saved. They suffer but they move on in an extraordinary way to do ministry and to do it faithfully.
All right, let's get to chapter 17 as we continue to make progress in the book of Acts. After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphilippus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So Paul went in, and as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the scriptures. So three Sabbath days, of course, means for three weeks. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, who I'm proclaiming to you. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So Paul and Silas are preaching to both Jews and Greeks and to a group of women, many of whom are being converted to the faith. Not all, but many of whom are being converted. But the Jews became jealous, that is, a group within this community. And with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. Then they could not find them. They dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, These people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has entertained them as guests. Jason has evidently hosted Paul and Silas, and they can't find Paul and Silas, so they go after the one who has taken care of them. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. The people in the city officials were disturbed when they heard this, and after they had taken bail from Jason and the others, they let them go. Remember, in this culture in that day and time, within Greek culture, whoever was king was king. Whoever was Caesar was Caesar. No one else is God outside of that respective leader. And then Paul and Silas come along and say, the king of all kings who outranks everyone is Jesus Christ the Lord. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas off to Borea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. These Jews were more receptive than those in Thessalonica, for they welcomed the message very eagerly and examined the scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, including not a few Greek women and men of high standing. Again, that message is not just for the poor, but the message is not just for the marginalized. It is for all people, including the wealthy and influential. But when the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Bore, they as well, they came there too to stir up and incite the crowds. When the, then the believers immediately sent Paul away to the coast, but Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions to have Silas and Timothy join him as soon as possible, they left him. So, Paul is now on his own in Athens. Look at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, that is, of course, for Silas and Timothy in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Paul is shocked at the sheer number of idols that are around Athens. So we're going to see something interesting. To establish a new religion in Athens, 
the sponsor must represent the deity. The evidence of the deity uh, wants to preside in Athens, and it must in some way benefit the Athenians. That's the requirement. Prove that you have an idol that needs to be in Athens and that is going to benefit the Athenians, and that idol is welcome. So there are idols everywhere to all kinds of gods, gods with a small g, of course. So, verse 17, he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others says, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Aragopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now, all the Athenians and foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Now, surely not all the Athenians and all the foreigners did that, but it just simply means that a great number of people spent time debating and dialoguing with each other. That was kind of a sport in those days and at that time among those people. Then Paul stood in front of the Aragopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the, uh, for I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with an inscription to all, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, that God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mortals life and breath and all things. So Paul says, as he stands in the center of activity, the hub of all the dialogue and debate, he tells them about Jesus Christ, and he says, look, you're clearly a religious people. I can see that. You have idols all over the place. But being religious doesn't mean that one is following that which is true and right. So he tells them about Jesus Christ, the one that they don't have to carve, the one that they don't have to somehow um, move from point A to point B because it's a piece of granite or wood or whatever it may be, but that he is a living, breathing being who walked the face of the earth. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Human existence, says Paul, depends on God. We live and move and have our being in God as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent 
because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What Paul says is essentially this, give up your idols and repent and follow the one who is and will always be God's living voice in the world, Jesus Christ himself, the one who physically walked the face of the earth, the one who physically rose from the dead. He is not a stone. He is not gold. He is not an idol. He is God. And Paul makes that abundantly clear. That's what distinguishes Jesus Christ from every other God with a small g. Now remember, one of the things that was so upsetting to God, the thing that is most upsetting to God in the Old Testament, in virtually every book of the Old Testament, is how people would abandon God to follow and bow down before something they had literally created themselves, idolatry. It is intolerable to God. And what the Israelites had to do was repent repeatedly to turn from their wicked ways and follow God because God was so angry with them. Paul says to these people who bow down before human-made gods, repent and follow Jesus Christ. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear you again about this. And at that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius, the Aragopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So the work continues for Paul. In a pagan world, he is making progress, not in huge numbers, but he is making progress, at least causing people to think about some other entity that might be the real God, the only God. In fact, there are those along the way who do end up following Jesus Christ as a result. Chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So you have Aquila and Priscilla. We are going to discover that they are tent makers. In one of my churches years ago out in the country, we used to have an annual event every year where we set up a huge tent that we had rented. And the name of the place that provided the tents for us was Aquila and Priscilla Tent Makers. It is literally an example from Scripture of people in modern times using biblical names for their business. So Aquila and Priscilla are available because Claudius has ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife, Jews, have to leave Rome. This is somewhere around 49 AD, we think, when that took place, when Claudius made that decree. Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, they stayed with him, and they worked together. By trade, they were tent makers. So we discover that Paul was bivocational until then as a tent maker. Now he's going to be focused on evangelism full time, but Paul's occupation was as a tent maker like Aquila and Priscilla. Every Sabbath, he would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. 
When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him in protest, he shook the dust from his clothes and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. It is another emphatic statement. Paul says, you have blood on your hands. You are responsible because you do not heed God's warning. So Paul's focus primarily, of course, is to the Gentile world. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the official of the synagogue, became a believer in the Lord, together with all his household and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul become believers who heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. One night the Lord said to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you, for there are many in this city who are my people. He stayed there a year and six months, a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. So here is Paul. Uh, who is now in Corinth. He spends a year and a half there sharing the good news of Jesus Christ along the way. He was in Corinth for a year and a half, and as a result of that, out of that was birthed what we know to be 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Paul, keenly aware of who those people were, would later on have correspondence with them, and they would ask him particular questions, and he would answer those theological questions and those practical questions which became for us 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Notice how Paul time and time again is attacked, not because of what he has done as much as because of what he has said. They said, this man is persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of crime or serious villainy, I would be justified in accepting the complaint of the Jews. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and on your own law, see to it yourself. I do not wish to be judge of these matters. And he dismissed them from the tribunal. Then all of them seized Sosthenes, the official of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of these things. So the Jews continually try to find ways, a small handful of them. Remember, Paul was a Jew, and many Jews are being converted to the faith. That generic term, Jews, here means a select number of people seek to continue to cause Paul harm and any follower of Jesus Christ harm, and yet they're not able to do so. They don't prevail. And as a result of that, when they are brought before the magistrate, before the tribunal, they are told, listen, this is a matter for you Jews. This is a theological issue. This is not an issue of something that these people have done that breaks our laws. So I dismiss them. But now Sosthenes himself, one of the officials in the synagogue, is intact and beaten. So we're going to stop right here as we continue to see momentum build regarding Paul's ministry, 
But at the same time, we also see the incredible amount of suffering that Paul goes through and other Christians go through as well to be followers of Jesus Christ. The church is spreading rapidly. It's making tremendous progress along the way. And thank God for Paul and Silas and Timothy, Barnabas, John Mark, Peter, so many other people, Aquila and Priscilla, and so many women as well who make an extraordinary difference in the early days of the church, Lydia and others, so that the good news of Jesus Christ could be proclaimed. It is spreading like wildfire, making an extraordinary difference. And we need some poles in the world today to spread the good news of Jesus like wildfire. And I believe God has called all of us to be poles. Thanks for being a part of this study once again. I'm grateful for your presence. Have a good rest of the week.